This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. Well, I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And my chair was in a weird place, so oh, I moved no. it. Oh, no. Okay. Nope. Uh, everything's good now. We're talking about pears. We're we ta- are. It's episode number 521, and somehow we have not done pears yet. Uh, yeah, I think this was, this is a, a listener Dana suggestion, and it's a classic. This, wait a minute. Is this listener Dana who has submitted a lot of great suggestions? Yeah, that's right. Listener Dana not only, like, has great suggestions, but also, like, is a master of, like, figuring out which obvious things we haven't done and then suggesting them so that I like go to our catalog and I'm like, you know, I'm going to make listener Dana's day by saying, look, we did pairs episode 241. And then I look and we've <laughs> never done it. Like listener next time, Dana, you are a wizard. What is the topic that you would be most surprised to learn that we haven't done? Like, what if we hadn't done uh, potato chips? Yeah. Uh, soy sauce. Yeah. Although it took us a while to do yeah. soy sauce. Omelets. Really? That would surprise you? <laughs> I don't know. Fried eggs. Yeah, that was, cause we that got was episode that out of the one. Way yeah. Episode one. And and we did it again for episode like ten years or something. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, today we're talking about pears. It was suggested by listener Dana. You know, we're recording this in October. It's wow. We should. I should just stop telling people how far in advance we're recording. Things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like now it's just getting braggy. Oh. Okay. Like, okay. We're recording no. this in uh, nineteen ninety. <laughs> and, I'm 20 years old. Uh-huh. Uh, Matthew's 23. To, he's still older than me. I'm still I'm still older than Molly. <laughs> we, we just got our, our uh, copies of uh, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Mm-hmm. I have just <laughs> lost my virginity. <laughs> we, you know, just like since the episode started. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You'd think I, I would mean, have noticed that. I mean, that. we're not married, Matthew, but that hasn't stopped me from losing my virginity right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening right now. I mean, I was looking the other direction, so anything could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Oh, wow. So okay. happy 1998, everybody. And now we're back. That was our we. That was our one time machine usage. Yeah. Oh wow. That oh that was not <laughs> no. what I would like to go back and use it for. Okay. okay. But wait. Hold on. In all seriousness, listeners, yes, let's hey, get serious. Hey, it's it's Christmas for those who celebrate Christmas. Yes. 
It's it's the most wonderful time of the year for some people. Yeah, Christmas 98. <laughs> and, uh, I hope that your stockings are filled with pears. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Well, like, don't don't Harry and David do like Christmas pears? This, I feel like this was Harry a thing and, I learned about in Harry the Egullet era. You know, I do remember. So, you know, my dad was a doctor and would receive all kinds of various like gifts from both like other physicians, uh, like uh, maybe companies they worked with. Like if you had been like, in, if you'd been in Japan, he would have received like an expensive melon. Exactly. And then he would sometimes get, I mean, the best gifts, of course, were when he had patients who brought in like homemade stuff. That was pretty great. The best gift if you're a doctor is just like go into the pharmacy and just grab whatever you like. Yeah, because that's that's what that's (laughs) what happens. I guess they could do that anyway. (laughs) No, but um, I I distinctly remember there being gifts like, you know, a box of pears or grapefruit like yeah. um rio star grapefruit sure. or something from texas you know back when i used to um own a restaurant mm-hmm. our cpa used to send <laughs> us half uh, like a side of smoked salmon mm, that sounds nice at christmas time and i was always like oh my god this makes me feel like such a grown-up yeah it's a very like grown-up seattle gift nothing makes me feel more like a grown-up Except getting the annual birthday card from the CPA. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I get I, I get like an annual like holiday or maybe like a do you have anyone who sends you a calendar? Like a cheap like like oh, flip yes. the page office. Matthew, calendar. our literary our shared That's literary agent yes. sends us a like a like a trifold calendar every year. And I'm always like, Really, guys? Yeah, I think I still get those even though there is no chance that I'm ever gonna make them any more money. <laughs> Um, I'm making them very little money. I mean, contrary to what people think about authors, like really. Yeah, no, no. Like we're like at our like tier of of authorship, like, you know, we're really like we rarely clear 10 million in a typical year. Rarely. Uh, There was that one year. And that year oh, yeah, I went yeah. and bought out the pharmacy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You really, really went and bought the farm, Yeah, as we call it. You okay, know, I was so, wondering, wait a minute. I was mm-hmm, wondering yeah. recently, is the phrase bought the farm or bet the farm? I think it's it's both, but it, they mean different it? things. Okay. So bought the farm just means you died. Like in Oh, a, it does? Yeah. Because my ex-husband bought a farm <laughs> last, last winter. Yes, this always comes up when someone literally buys a farm. Yeah, okay. But bet the farm is, is like... It's like to bet it all. Yeah, bet it all. Yeah, okay. Okay. I don't know why buy the farm. I mean, let, let's, uh, let's turn to Mr. Etymology. <laughs> I don't know where bar- buy the farm comes from. What about mini meester etymology? <laughs> this was this was definitely a mini meester etymology segment. Wait, okay. Maybe we need a different one for when we just haven't looked it up and don't know the answer. Uh, we're okay. taking suggestions. What if for we? What, what if it's etymology? Because oh, like we don't. No, well, we I was don't, just thinking we, of like no, N-O. like no. Just before you got here, wife of the show, Lori, and I were having a a talk about, like, trying to remember genders of words in French that we hadn't thought about in decades. Yeah. Wow, the way I said that sounded a little bit like, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Were there any fun stories that came out of that? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good story. We we couldn't remember whether boeuf was male or female, but we agreed. Le le boeuf. That was our conclusion. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, so let's... Thank you, uh, Monsieur Etymologie. (laughs) 
Uh, let's okay. talk about pair, memory lane of pairs. All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to start this off. Yeah. My memory lane of pairs is quite long. Okay, that's yeah, great. Yeah. So I remember eating pears as a kid, just sliced, always skin on. Yep, same here. Sliced, raw. Here's one thing I was thinking about as I was working on this agenda. Canned fruit seemed like so much more, like it was so much more present in the universe of my life when I was a kid than it is now. Oh, and sure. Do you we think used to serve canned fruit like for snack to our kid. It's so do you, convenient. Do you think that it is as popular, like the market share is as big now as it was when we were kids? Or, I mean, now that there is so much more global shipping, I mean, every, like, mm-hmm. there's... I don't know. Interesting, because I think that another way in which pears appeared on my memory lane is that they were in, like, fruit cocktail, Yeah, I right? think we did a fruit cocktail we episode. Did. I know we've talked about, like... I know we've talked about the wonder that is canned peaches and canned pears. Yeah, but they have to be cold, right? They have to be cold. Yeah. Yes. And the little canned mandarin orange slices. Oh, those yeah. Are but so those are so good if they're ice cold. Okay. God, I got to go back and get those Yeah, again. they're pretty good. I almost texted you like 45 minutes ago to say, Matthew, if you happen to be out on your, your morning constitutional. I was. Oh, man. I, I was like, do you want to? pick up some canned pears. I wouldn't have been able to chill them in time. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, I remember as a kid discovering that canned pears are awesome. Yeah. It's also super satisfying how like uh, the canned pear halves. Am I remembering correctly that it's almost like there's a channel that's been tunneled out of the middle of it? Yep. Because like that's the let's the the pear doesn't really have a core in the same way that an apple does. I feel like it's like that tiny little backbone of core. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then of course like the seedy part right in the middle. Anyway, uh, canned pears are amazing if a bit grainy. Yes. uh, Which is, you know, a a risk one takes whenever one eats a pear. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I also, of course, remember poached pears. And then also one of the first recipes that I ever chose myself and like was excited to make. Okay. um, Involved pears. Was it a pear cake? It was a ginger cake that was served with caramelized pears. Oh, that sounds good. And I remember, so this was in the days of Gourmet Magazine. And I was 17 years old, I think. It was around the holidays. And do you remember how they had, like, you know, there were so many little different uh, sections of the magazine, but there was one that was, like, quick recipes. Yeah, What we would probably call 30-minute meals now. Sure. Um, Sometimes they would be, like, on, like, tear, like, perforated cards. That might have been a different magazine. That was a different magazine. I don't think Gourmet ever did that. Fine cooking. They didn't want to make things that easy for us. But there was a recipe in that section. So it was like a simple cake. It was a layer cake. Excuse me. It was a single layer cake. It was made in, I think, like an eight by eight pan. And it was a fresh ginger cake. So it had fresh ginger in it. And then you would take pears and you would peel them. Um, and cut them into thin wedges and caramelize butter and sugar in a skillet and cook the pears there and then serve them kind of draped over this fresh ginger cake. And this was a revelation for me. So it was good. And I, in fact, wrote a piece of writing about the night that I made this cake. That's and that memorable night in 1998. It, this, it, this was... Like a big uh, moment for me, I think, as a writer, like this piece was really like where like where did you put was it on your blog? So I actually put a version of it in a homemade life. Okay. 
And but it was much wackier in the original version I did. It was very I remember it was my junior year of English and we had been reading all kinds of sh- very challenging stuff like Toni Morrison sure. and Faulkner. Wow, yeah. And so I think I was like really interested in the old like um sort of lack of punctuation stream run of on stream of yeah. consciousness, etc. It was a very stream of consciousness piece that involved this this night in which I made this cake, my mom was poaching pears, and my dad was making rice pudding, all of us in the kitchen at the same time. Did your dad feel left out because his, his thing didn't involve pears? <sighs> Probably, um, yeah. Can we read this somewhere now? Is it on your blog? No, no. I, I Actually, it may be on my blog. Okay. If it's on my blog, it's a million years back. Um, right. But you can find a version of it in a homemade life. Okay, but but not the wackiest version. Not the wa- I don't I don't know if I let the wackiest version like out okay. of the box, frankly. But it, I feel like it was my first piece of food writing, and it was. Yeah. I remember it being so fun. Like I I really felt I felt so alive while I was writing it. Yeah, I know what you mean. No, my first piece of feed feed writing. Feed writing. <laughs> well, mm. yeah, before I got into human food, I wrote a lot of stuff <laughs> animal about animal feed, feed yeah. like tastings. Yeah. Um like uh we tasted slops, we tasted What uh, about agricultural hay. grade corn? Mm. Yeah, we we tasted <sighs> uh seed yeah. corn. <laughs> you tasted corn. <laughs> what about so? Okay, go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was the whole bit. Okay. Um. Yeah. No. The, oh, right. No. There was. There was some going to be some truth. There was a current going to be a corn kernel of truth to oh. it, which is that the first food piece I ever wrote was about uh, peaches, about peacharama. So wait, oh yeah. So my first piece was about peaches, and yours was about pears. That's weird. That is weird. Yeah. Especially like for the two of us and what our interests have you like know what, what year would be. this have been for you this would have been i believe 95 the winter of 95 okay. i was i was 17 this would have been like 98 or 99 for me okay okay and so you were at that point like 23 24 very mature mature so mature mm-hmm. yeah all right so uh my memory lane i remember my mom cutting slices of pears uh which i ate with the skin on mm-hmm. and I thought of another memory lane while you were talking, which was at some point, and I, it was many years ago, but I don't remember exactly when, uh, wife of the show, Lori, brought home a comis pair. I don't know if it's yes. comis or comis. I've always said comis. Uh, and that, like, having, I think up to that point, as far as I know, really only had Bartlett pairs. Uh-huh. Like, the comis pair was a revelation. Because when we're recording this in 1998, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of the beginning of pear season. Yeah. So actually, all I've had so far this season are Bartlett's and Asian pears. Yeah. Remind me the Did difference between like an a- Asian pear episode. I don't know. I, I think maybe that should be a separate episode because I didn't really think about it. I, I included it okay. here. We could all touch right. on it a all bit. Right. I'm trying to imagine in my mind's mouth uh, the yep. difference between Comis and Anjou. Or Anjou. Anjou. Okay, like the Anjou pears, like I don't really have any conception of. I know they exist and they have a fancy name and I know I've had them. I tend to think of Comis and Anjou as both being kind of a rounder. Rounder, plumper pear. Plumper yeah. pear. And I tend to think of them as being juicier. Like a Bartlett, yes. a Bartlett is not going to, a Bartlett or a Bosque, they're not going to like run down your chin. Well, the Bosque is, a, is a, an especially dry pear, I think, more yes. so than a Bartlett. Yes, but a Bartlett, I mean, I've yeah. never had a Bartlett run down my chin i've never had to like yeah no i think you're right i think that's probably like what really did it for me with the comis pear because like i like a super juicy peach mm-hmm. i guess who doesn't who likes a non-juicy peach what kind of barbarian hold on i, I know we're gonna get to how we eat peaches later but do or you pears even 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> but do you ever just bite into a pear or do you slice yeah. it up? No, no. Sometimes I just bite into a pear. Oh, yeah, no. I we don't have, do that. That's barbaric. I once do again, that. this year for the second year in a row, we've signed up for like a, a true CSA, not just like a box of, of – Yeah, like of, imperfect foods or but, something. Uh, but a true farm share CSA of, of like a fruit, local fruit farm. And so we're going to be getting Collins Orchard. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I always mean to do that, and I always miss it. Yeah, and so and so we're going to like go down to a house in our neighborhood and pick up like a big ass box of mostly apples, but some pears. I'm really hoping for some Comey's pears. When does it start? It starts like this week. Oh man. So I I do a like a vegetable CSA through a local farm. Mm -hmm. And I, but I've, oh God, I always miss the window on the fruit CSA. I mean, do you want to just like dri- drive over here once, once a week and steal some of our fruit? Well, you, just let me know when you get tired of your fruit. Okay, yeah. There's no. always that part in the year oh, when you're like, get not so many another apples. apple. But like for, at the very beginning, you get like a few of the last like plums and pluots. But uh, but there's definitely gonna be some pears in there. And those pears, like when we get like too many pears, I'm just uh, gonna be eating pears over the sink. Okay. I'm not gonna <sighs> love pause it. to slice them up. I love it. Okay. Okay. Well, so is there anything else you want to say about memory lane? Memory lane on Christmas, there's a there's an incredible illumination light display. Like all the houses on memory lane. <laughs> like if you're that one house on memory lane that doesn't put lights on your house, like fuck you. What are you even talking about right now? <laughs> when you were a kid, did you ever drive to like like, you know, Candy Cane Lane or or like So we never did that, but actually my family has now started a tradition where we go to a a neighborhood in, like not far from our neighborhood. An undisclosed location. An undisclosed location try to remember what the one and, in portland was and called. we drive we, we actually walk peacock through. lane oh i've never so i've never gone to ye old candy cane lane or whatever it is but i have gone to olympic manor in okay. north seattle is like a very like 50s housing development that does a lot of christmas lights yeah and that's so always fun i didn't i didn't have like any point i was trying to make about that <laughs> just it oh, exists okay go Good check story. it out uh, well, let's talk about pears, shall we? Or we could change this and talk about peaches. <laughs> or we could talk about Christmas lights. Okay. Maybe next week. Okay, great. Okay. So, uh, let's... <laughs> yeah, for our episode airing on, on December, <laughs> December 30th. 30th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's start with some basic pear info. Yes, please. So the, the pear tree is a species of genus Pyrus, P-Y-R-U-S. Oh, I was just going to say Pyrus. Oh, that's like see, like that's, papyrus only uh, that without seems the... right. What what's wrong with me? Why did no, P- I like I like P- P-Rus. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you excuse me. I have to. I got a pyrus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, pyrus is in the family rosaceae. Rosaceae. God, I can never get that right. <laughs> no, it's times. it's uh, it's one of these things that that why uh, doesn't it has what? like seventeen vowels in it, but it's just pronounced like bleh. Yeah. Exactly. Or boof. Yeah, boof has like 17 vowels in it. And you just say boof. Yeah, exactly. And you just say boof. Anyway, some species, of course, are valued for the fruit, while others are cultivated as trees or for wood. Oh, yeah. Pear Um, wood. Pear wood is very desirable for musical instruments. Apparently, it doesn't warp easily. Okay, that makes sense. Um, That's uh, probably why I carve most of my flutes (laughs) from pear wood. Yeah. Uh, Also used for furniture. Uh, the plant is native to coastal and mildly temperate regions of the old world. So Western Europe, North Africa, Asia. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, and it, it makes sense when I see, you know, coastal and mildly temperate. It makes sense that it would grow well here in like Washington as well. It does seem like building woodwind instruments would be a pretty cool hobby. It does. Like it would because it would take a lot of time. You know, it's really too bad that my ex-husband bought the farm <laughs> last winter because he was really into building, um, like learning how to build violins and cellos okay. for a while, um, like right before the pandemic. And maybe you guys could have like how gotten in together on like a lathe or something. Yeah, we could have gotten in on a lathe. Do you need a lathe to build violins? <laughs> I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. Okay. All right. So pear cultivation goes way back into antiquity. And there's even evidence of pears being used as food in prehistoric times. Okay. Um, apparently traces, whatever traces there would be of pears. Like some, um, some gross discarded skin. Yeah. Uh, have been found in prehistoric dwellings near Lake Zurich. And oh, yeah. I think we should take a corporate retreat. Oh, yeah. This sounds heavily tax deductible. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Okay. So wait. So pear cultivation goes way back to antiquity. Do you think the apple in the Garden of Eden might have been a pear? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's get busy rewriting that Bible. <laughs> There's so many, so many sections that I'd like to alter. I've got some new psalms to share with you. <laughs> like a real sexy ones. Okay. So pears were cultivated in China as early as 2000 BCE. Okay. The pear was also cultivated by the Romans, who, like us, ate the fruits both raw and cooked. And it was the Romans who introduced pears to Britain. I always kind of forget that the Romans were in Britain. Like, I, I know this, this I seems... I forget that, too. Because, like, it seems like, like, how did they get across the water? <laughs> but yeah. the answer, I think, is boats. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I th or maybe the Loch Ness Monster. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> one of those two. Maybe like they rode on its back. They rode on its back. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because if it, when it straightens itself out, oh, it's it, like it goes across the channel. Okay, that's it's like that really sense. long. It's a very long monster. It's yeah. one of the longest monsters. <laughs> yes. Okay. According to the Pear Bureau Northwest. I love that this exists. <laughs> right? Um, I, I was kind of wishing that I had learned about the Pear Bureau Northwest earlier than last night. Because pears so, like, are a big deal in, in Northwest fruticulture. Right? A big deal. Like, yeah. We are living in like the epicenter of <laughs> fruit fruticulture. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I learned about the Pear Bureau Northwest and so many other things on Wikipedia. But maybe someday you and I could actually call up somebody from the Pear Bureau Northwest. And I used to do this back when I wrote food articles. I'm sure you did too. Like you would like call someone at like Washington State University because you had a question about like like livestock or produce and they would know everything. I didn't do so many reported pieces, but I did do a piece once for The Art of Eating. Do you uh -huh. remember The Art of Eating? Yeah. Ed Baer uh, was the publisher. I did a piece um, and I had a phone call with Pierre Hermé. <gasps> In, oh my god in french it was oh my god it was terrifying that i can't, literally can't think of anything scary that sounds like a nightmare that i would have i well ed bear was like <laughs> so i really want you to contact you know bakers and i'd like you to you know really go to the source and so i emailed some people who put me in touch with other people who put me in touch with other people and i got all the way up the chain to pierre Hermé. that what was the subject of the piece canales oh yeah yeah yeah, it was, wow, did I ever go through so many rounds of revisions. I, I mean, it was, I felt wrung out by the end of it. I know it. I did read um, this piece. I want to read it again. 
I would like to read it again, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was one of the more exhaustive pieces I ever did. I mean, I also spoke to other bakers. I spoke to Ken Forkish. Mm-hmm. To yeah, let's let's list off all the bakers. Let's all the bakers. Anyway, but Pierre Hermé was definitely like as close as I got to. That is the top, the pinnacle. That is the pinnacle. The difference is like when you call like a state university to talk to an <laughs> agriculture professor. Like usually, you just call and they answer the phone. Yeah, you know, weirdly, Pierre Hermé does just answer oh, okay. his phone. That's cool. I mean, if you can get his phone number, I'm gonna get it from you. Okay, okay. This was like ten years ago, so. I, he's, prob- he's probably changed his number. number so that I won't call him again. Uh, anyway, so according to Pear Bureau Northwest, about 3,000 known varieties of pears are grown worldwide. And like lots of other fruits we've discussed, pears are normally propagated by grafting whatever variety you want onto a rootstock. And yep. that rootstock is usually either pear or quince. It are they ever out. coppiced? I don't know if they're coppiced, but I don't think the f- the f- the the plant starts producing blossoms. I also learned that quince rootstock makes smaller trees. Okay. So it's sometimes preferred for like, you know, residential gardens or things like that. Yeah, when you when you order a pear tree, they ask business or residence. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, for new varieties, flowers can be crossbred to produce or preserve, you know, okay. desirable qualities. That makes sense. So everybody get out your Punnett square. Okay. And uh, let's let's begin coming up with some desirable qualities and, and crossing. Okay. Like plumpness. Um, X. <laughs> Wait, is that going to be plump? No, you say O. It's like a tic- oh, it's like tic-tac-toe. We're playing two, two by two Punnett square tic-tac-toes. <laughs> It sounds like a great game. Okay. Anyway, uh, the fruit shape, <laughs> as we have already discussed, varies among species. Um, no, you be X, I'll be plumpness. <laughs> sort of from, like, you can find pears that are really quite oval, or is this um, oblate? Is that what it would be called? I think oblate is when, I I don't know, because ovoid, I think, is, oh, is what oval. you're thinking of. Okay. Or, or oval, but, but oblate... Because well, ovoid is when it's when it's a, a solid. Ah. Because an oval is a two-dimensional figure, I think. Okay. So ovoid is three-dimensional. is if you, like, you take a basketball and you kind of squash it, flatten it. Okay. So pairs can be that. Okay. Uh, or they can, of course, be almost spherical. They can be basketball-sized. Some pairs really look quite a lot like apples. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but then, of course, the classic pear shape that we tend to think of has an elongated elongated shape toward the stem and a more bulbous blossom end. Okay. Could we, I put a little Mr. Etymology near the end, but maybe this is a good time for Mr. Etymology to make an appearance. I got curious about the phrase gone pear shaped. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, are you, but have you heard this phrase before? Yes. It's sort of like, I don't really know what it means. Well, it's, it's like when, when like something is like fucked up. Okay. Like, like you know. That, so explain this to like, me. Like, uh, you know, I thought we had a deal, but it went pear shaped. Like, or like everything's gone pear shaped. I think it's more like used in like a general, sh- general sense. Like, and it's a, it's a British thing. Okay. I'm just trying to picture how going pear shaped is a bad thing. I so so uh, when I explain what the leading theory of where this came from is, you're still going to think, why is that a bad thing? Because apparently it is a euphemism for the phrase "gone tits up." But tits up would be like dead. 
right? Yes. Like you're but like so, you're lying, like you're prone. Yeah, but also, but it can also refer to a like a situation that that like you know is totally screwed up. Is it like has gone upside down? Yeah. Wait, tits up is is that tits like facing the sky or tits? I think it's facing the sky, down. like like a dead <laughs> like a dead fish with <laughs> breasts. That's Wait so a minute! Gross. Dead fish don't face the sky. Like, like, a, like if your fish is like upside down in the tank, that's when it's dead, right? Like it's like floating. Oh, and... oh sometimes it's on its side. Or like I don't know, like a dead a bug, human. a dead, a, bo- a dead human. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so so the I believe <laughs> so the pear shape refers to the shape of the tit in tits up. I be- is is the leading theory. So like you know we're in like oh. polite company, like grandma's here. We can't say like you know. That, uh, like I was making dinner, but like my my lasagna went tits up, so we're gonna say it went pear shaped. Wow, That's I like don't know. There's, so many steps removed. I don't think it's possible to prove this really, and like there are other other theories, but I like that. Okay, okay, no, I like it too. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. As we discussed earlier, Asian pears are a type of pear. Uh, they aren't pear-shaped at all. They can almost sort of look like some apple varieties, like a russet kind of yeah, apple. Yeah. And Asian pears are native to China, Japan, and Korea. So here in a sec, we're going to be talking about European pears okay. versus Asian pears. European pears... Why do they have to fight? European pears are picked before they're fully ripe. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. And while they're still green, but apparently ripen, ripe enough to snap off easily when they're like lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't really find information about how this compares or contrasts to non-European pears. Okay. But anyway, the idea is you store them at room temperature until they're ripe. You know they're ripe when the flesh around the stem gives to gentle pleasure. Check the neck, I said we gentle call it. pleasure. <laughs> and the <laughs> thing, if, I wish people could see the thing you were just doing with your hand, which was so dirty. <laughs> like <laughs> anyway, and then like you weren't making like a hole with your thumb and forefinger, but somehow it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> and then, according to Wikipedia, once they are ripe, you should refrigerate them and eat them. You know, within the next couple days. Okay. Do you, Matthew, find this harder to gauge than Wikipedia makes it sound? Yeah, like the thing is, you're gonna forget about them. Like they take you get so, so long. used to ignoring them, right? Because because like, are there other fruits that like are gonna have to sit on your counter for a week? 
because sometimes it's more than a week, right? And like somewhere in like, you know, day three or four, you're no longer going to have like a pair timer in your brain. Well, and what I find challenging, too, is a type like the Bosk, right? Which we'll talk more about in a second. But a Bosk doesn't doesn't really develop much of a give at the stem. I had two Bosks last week, and they were actually both delicious. Okay. The first one that we ate did have a little bit of give. The second one, I only knew to eat it because the first one was good. <laughs> the first one, like, like nudged you, like, you know, hey, yes. my, eat my buddy over here, not me. Yeah. What does bosky mean? Uh, I think that probably has more to do with, like, a, like a woods or forest. Oh, okay. I'm guessing. Yeah, what, okay. What does it mean? I don't know. It just... <laughs> Is it a word? Yeah, I think so. Like B-O-S-K-Y, I think. We got to look this up. Right. Matthew, you can't just spring stuff like this on me. <laughs> You're right. It's not fair to anybody. <laughs> All I think right. it has to do with like dark or wooded. I think you're probably right, but I don't know. Oh, bosky, wooded, covered by trees or bushes, a river meandering between bosky banks. Oh, I like that. Late 16th century from Middle English Bosque, variant of bush. And I wonder if that's related to, I mean, I'm sure, I wonder if it comes in some way from like Latin or has anything to do with the French bois. I think probably, yes. Okay. Anyway, I feel like I have eaten so many underripe pears in my life. And then I have had so many pears that were going to be perfect. And when I cut into them, they had rotted on the inside. Yeah. And the thing is, you can't take a bite and then if it's not ripe yet, just put it back. Is there any fruit you can do that with? Not legally, but no. But like, would you, is there any fruit you would do that with at home? As opposed to at the office? Well, like, you know, just with your family around, you know, in in intimate company. No, because it wouldn't work. (laughs) Like, what do you mean it wouldn't work? Well, like you're just gonna put back a pear that has like a like a chunk <laughs> taken out of it. Like I would, a, I would like so when you get really tired of your CSA, okay. try this and see. All right, what your I'm gonna try to see. Maybe maybe I'm being because I feel like the skin is there to like protect it against airborne spores. Oh yeah, I think I think stuff's gonna go pear shaped pretty fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, three species make up the bulk of all edible pear production. So the one that we, I think, tend to encounter most often that we, you know, in our grocery stores is some type of the of the European pear, Pyrus communis. Okay. Or communis. Oh, it's a communist pear. It is a communist pear. And it's amazing that it's persisted all this time under capitalism. I mean, we really try to <laughs> route out communism. That's right. The the European pear, this particular subspecies, is cultivated mainly in Europe and North America. So, you know, I think this probably includes the Bartlett pear, the, the Comis, the Anjou. Okay, yeah. Then there is the Chinese white pear, which I've never encountered. It's, do you want to try to pronounce this one? Well, uh, yeah, it's Pyrus x Brett Schneidery. Yep. It's so presumably it was discovered or named by someone named Brett Schneider. <laughs> this is <laughs> I, this is one of this is a frat boy. This is a really funny specific name. And then there's the Nashi pear, which is another word for Asian pear, okay. and that's Pyrus pyrifolia. Yep. And that's grown mainly in Eastern Asia, although of course it's it's also grown, you know, at least uh I know that there are Asian pears grown in Washington oh, state yeah, many. to great success. Um and then, you know, within those three species, there are thousands of cultivars, which is how we wind up with, you know, Bartlett pears, Comis, Anjou, so Bosque, so on and so forth. Yep. Yeah. And you said the other the other types of pear that are not those species are used typically as rootstocks or for their wood. Yep. Like for our flute 
business. Yeah. Spilled flute. Yeah, spilled flute. <laughs> yeah. So, Matthew, you Brent know. Brent Schneidery. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, I mean, Latin name, Latin, you know, scientific names are, are used, like, consistently throughout the world by, uh, by biologists. Like, so this means that there are, like, Chinese botanists that, are, are, that have to call to this thing Brett Schneidery. Brett Schneidery? I don't like that. That I don't, doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right either. Do you have Brett Schneider's number? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matthew. So uh, are there? A, so we've talked about you know a number of different types of pears. Is there any pears we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about seckle pears. Oh yeah, those little tiny ones. Yes. So the seckle pears, I feel like. Every once in a while, I've come across a really good one, but usually they they like should be cooked. Maybe I tend to think of them as a cooking pear. You know, I kind of, I think I've kind of looked at them always like I do like baby artichokes. Like that looks like a lot of work. Yeah, but we got some in our CSA box last year that were very tasty just for eating out of hand. Oh, and I, and were and they, they just are, really cute? They're really little and cute. Were are they kind of reddish or kind of um yeah rust color? Yep. Like okay, yeah, very pretty. Yeah, they're great for still lifes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you haven't even talked about like what percentage of pear production goes to still lifes? A big, big, big one, big yeah. one. Because yeah. like getting the shading just right on like the <sighs> the crook of the neck. I do remember in various art classes. I think I have a lot of sketches of pears. You know, using them for shading. Well, that's what you just talked about. <laughs> Sorry, I zoned out a little bit. For but a I was second. making that up, so it's good to know that my uh, my artistic instincts yeah. are spot on. Yeah. Um. So you know, obviously, we're going to talk a, a little bit more about like baking or cooking with pears. Yeah. But uh, uh, hold on, I want to I want to stop and talk about pear cider yes, because I know you are a cider man. I'm a cider man. I just made last night. Let's see, teenager of the show December. Uh, flip to the back of the latest issue of Martha Stewart Living, um, mm-hmm. and uh, God, I haven't bought that in ages. Uh, wife of the show Lori bought it because we love the Halloween issue. Oh, that does sound like fun. And yeah, there's a really funny Halloween costume of like a baby dressed up as a rabbit being pulled out of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely recommend this issue. Okay, and there's a. Uh, Recipe for like a French style stew of like a pork stew uh, stewed in cider with big chunks of root vegetables like celery and carrots. And uh, and then you like finish it with sour cream. Mm. It's really good. Mm. Have you made it? Uh, yeah, we had it last night. We're going to have the rest tonight. Oh, wow. It's very tasty. Oh, wow. So, okay. so I poured like a whole bottle of cider, but it was apple cider. But oh. I could have used pear cider. Have you ever had pear cider made by Eric Bordelais? Yes, I French have. French pear cider. I can I can envision the label right now. It, it looks like champagne yeah. when it's in a glass. It is so delicate and delicious. I hadn't thought about it in a while, but it came to mind when I was making the agenda. And it, it seems like the season for that. Yeah, when I went to Broadway, QFC yesterday to buy cider for the stew. I feel like the cider selection had kind of dwindled, and I wonder if it's like a supply chain issue or like is cider going out of style? I don't think cider is going out okay. of style. That's good. I uh, mean, yeah, I'm the I wanna, authority. All right, I want to get some of that. Can, do you have an Eric Bordelais number? Can we? <laughs> I I don't even know where I would buy it. I've only had it like in a restaurant on a yeah, special no, they occasion. They used to sell it in the like in the beer cave, beer uh, t- tunnel at Broadway QFC. I oh would, yeah, I would buy it. Yeah, and they would have the Etienne Dupont also, which I think I don't think he makes a pear cider, but I'm not sure. The Eric Bordelais one is sold in like a full size like wine yeah. bottle, right? Yeah, that okay. shit is good. That it's really good. Um, locally, um, Finn River Cider makes a pear cider that's very tasty. Mm. You know, Matthew, I have not spent very much time tasting 
interesting cider with you. It seems like we should have a cider date or maybe even do a cider episode. Yeah, we should have a cider date. Like there's there's a there's a cider bar on Capitol Hill. Like I don't know if we want to oh. like sit outside and drink cider at this point in that the year. That sounds fun. Let's discuss it when we're not in front of the listeners. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so Matthew, do you ever bake or cook with pears? No, but I don't really bake much at all. What about Watzel? I think like occasionally there's been like a pear cake, but like I really, when I think about pears, I I primarily just think about eating them. Mm-hmm. How about uh, you? That's how I, mean, I feel. I know you make a ginger ginger and caramelized pear cake. Well, I mean, I, I did at one time. I haven't made it in a very long time. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think the recipe, a version of the recipe is in a homemade life, I think. Well, I assume so since you said there was a piece about it. Yeah. Anyway, I think that when I was like really deep in my Francophilia, I definitely did a fair amount of baking with pears. So, you know, not just the aforementioned ginger cake, but, you know, I I think of pears and almond paste showing up in a lot of great French pastry. And a pear clafoutis is a pretty classic thing. I mean, cherry clafoutis is, is the real classic. But yes. pear clafoutis is delicious. And there was a time back when I was writing for Bon Appetit, I kept trying to pitch them on a clafoutis recipe that used pears. And I really, and they were like, this isn't bon clafoutis. This is bon appetit. <laughs> uh, it was, I think it was exceptionally good because there was brown sugar in the custard instead of white sugar. Oh, interesting. So it made for almost like a like a caramelly or butterscotchy tasting custard in which there were delicious soft wedges of pear. It was really good. I should dig that recipe out. Okay, so I can confirm that this recipe is in your book and like uh, there's a whole there's a whole section that I think is is like an adaptation of the stream of consciousness consciousness thing I that wish you wrote that as I had just published it as it was or not published it at all. Like I can even see just looking over your your shoulder right now like little ways in which I changed it to make it more grammatical. (laughs) Like, for example, you put it all in italics. I put it all in italics. I created sentences where there were only fragments. Yeah, but this this yeah. this cake does sound good. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. I like a cake that has sour cream in it. Yeah, no, no, it's it's great. When you eat pears, do you ever take the skin off, or do you no. eat them skin on? Like I I can't think of a fruit that I take the skin off unless there's an obvious one that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, it, it's never occurred to me, or it, it would have never occurred to me to ever peel a pear to eat it, except that I have a very vivid memory of being at the dinner table. Uh, with my host family when I was like 20 years old in, in France. France. My host mother, she, as I've mentioned on the show, she was a saleswoman for a company that made silicone baking right. dishes or, you know, silicone baking pans and things. So she very frequently made dessert because she was trying out different recipes to make, you know, to, to be able to pitch this product to people. But when she didn't make dessert, we would usually have fresh fruit for dessert. And I remember the care with which she peeled pears in particular. Like I I remember it more specifically than apples. I remember watching her, you know, turn the pear in her hand. It was like a very beautiful scene, the way she would peel pears for, for one of her two young sons. Yeah. That sounds very maternal. That said, I have never peeled a pear for my child. Did you ever watch the show Care Bears when you were a kid? <clears throat> I did. Yeah, I me absolutely too. did. I loved it. It made me feel feel good. Um, I also watched Rainbow Bright. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Rainbow Bright. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, I don't think, it, yeah, my, my kid loves pears, but it's never occurred to me to peel them for her. No, that's because, like, you don't love your kid as much as this uh, your French host mom did. Yeah, that's probably probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matthew, uh, you know, on the Christmas theme, have you ever actually encountered a partridge in a pear tree? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Um, no. I did, however, because I wasn't quite sure what a partridge was. I looked it up, mm-hmm. and uh, and I learned that a partridge apparently is like a very general term for just like a whole bunch of different species of medium sized birds. Is it like related to grouse? Um, so it said that, like there are two types, two like broad categories of things called partridges. One group that's more closely related to pheasants, and one that's more closely related to chickens. Okay. And okay. I also learned that uh, that the general category that chickens fall in is called jungle fowl. <gasps> Isn't that great? When my spouse and I, we went to Hawaii earlier this mm-hmm. fall for a very belated honeymoon, and we saw the cutest little birds. They had a beak almost like a toucan uh, in, in like the shape of it. And they had these white round cheeks. And they, it turns out they're called Java sparrows. Oh, wow. That's great. But anyway, I really love that. Like, what is it? Jungle fowls? Jungle fowl. Remember jungle crows? Yes. We saw jungle crows in, in Japan, Tokyo. Yeah. Java sparrows. I love all this stuff. When I was in elementary school, I went to a private school and the headmaster of the school uh, was Hawaiian. And every year at Christmas, we would have a big assembly and he would sing <gasps> a, he would play the ukulele. Would he sing Meli Kalikimaka? No. He would sing a Hawaiian version of the 12 Days of Christmas. <gasps> and I don't remember a one, um, the five was five big fat pigs. Um, the but number the number one the first day was a minor bird one minor bird in one papaya tree. Oh my gosh, minor birds are everywhere. Okay, and they're so grouchy looking. Yeah, I don't I don't know what a minor bird is, but I know like it makes it's loud. You know, we I encountered think. these grouse type things. Not a minor bird. We saw a lot of minor birds in Hawaii, but also like these- the uh, Stone Temple Pilot song grouse type thing. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that song. <laughs> Thanks too. a lot. Until just now. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. I'm done with this story. Mm. Okay. Matthew, do you have anything else to say about pears? I mean, I think probably if they have a lot of these birds in England and they have a lot of pear trees, probably sometimes. There's a partridge in yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, no, I have nothing else to say about pears. Okay. Uh, Matthew, what's new in the underworld? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Okay, so first off, I think I think the segment is wrapping up because Teenager of the Show December said that uh, they don't want to give any more spoilers about the game because it's such a good game and they just recommend that everyone play it. Okay. We're not sponsored by the game Hades, but it is it's a fun game. So if you like video games or if you want to if you want to see if you like them, this is a great game to play. So uh, what's new in the underworld is going the way of uh, calling it quilts. It's going it's going pear shaped. Cute, cute animals you need to know. Yes, however. I do still have a report, which is that uh, wife of the show, Lori, and I were out for a walk the other day, and there's a house that's being torn down like a two blocks from us, and they have been like digging up the yard while doing the demolition, and they left like a big hole in the yard, and clearly a construction person was like, well, we can't just leave this hole here. Like, what if someone falls in and, and we get sued? So what they did was they took like a random door and kind of haphazardly laid it over this hole in the dirt, <laughs> and it looks like the door to hell. <laughs> 
it's it, I, I laughed so hard when I just saw this, this door this like shitty door like halfway across this big hole in the crowd just like yep if I was if I was a kid I'd be like oh like we need to go down there right away yeah <laughs> that's excellent all right do we have any spilled mail uh, I don't know why don't you tell me My name is Steven. This is me being, uh, this is from listener Steven. Okay. okay. Uh, my name is Steven, and I have a question for you both. What is the best and worst single pers- purpose kitchen appliance, and why is it the waffle maker? <laughs> also, what is the most underrated kitchen appliance? Ah. So. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, hold yeah. on. First, about waffle makers. Mm-hmm. I do not understand why they're so hard to clean. Like, oh. what the hell, waffle companies? So, I mean, I love my waffle maker. It's made by Villaware. I think I got it as a wedding gift in my first marriage. It's like 14 years old. Before your before your husband bought the farm. <laughs> it's fantastic, but it is impossible to clean. I'm getting shrill here okay, because so it's so when, distressing. Is it like the like the trough around the edge that's hard to clean cuz I've never well, felt like I had thing. to clean the the actual well, waffling clean part. It, though because it gets like weird like fat like rancid stuff can i just pretend that it doesn't i mean even at like a cast iron skillet right you're gonna like wipe it down yeah but like i mean i i can wipe it with a paper well i can wipe it with a paper towel but if i want to actually like get rid of any like little droplets of you know leftover fat or whatever i've got to get like a paper towel and then a chopstick to press the paper towel in i mean it seems like they probably make like a waffle iron cleaning tool that's just like that seems like the worst single purpose kitchen exactly okay we got it that would be like a big package of like absorbent pads that are (laughs) that fit perfectly into your waffle maker Uh uh-huh just close it on here and then you throw it away yeah yeah okay okay wait a minute okay take it away go ahead the best single purpose kitchen appliance is the rice cooker i know you can make all sorts of things in in a rice cooker so it's not truly single purpose but like you're never taking away my rice cooker and i only use it to cook rice okay Okay. The I feel like we get this kind of question sometimes. Like you know, um, we had someone ask like if we would do an episode on like poorly engineered food products, and like if something's bad, I just kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Me too. Me too. It's kind of the opposite of of criticism. <laughs> right. No. No. Yeah. Like, I definitely remember. Like every time I ever like was embarrassed or failed oh, at yes, something, yes. like shame is seared it, in right. deep. But but like if I got a kitchen appliance that didn't work out, like you know, I I did get rid of the uh, the panini. Press just wasn't using it. I have this milk foaming pitcher mm-hmm. that, oh like, yeah, you got it for for uh, the Hoji Cha Latte episode. Yes. Hoji, it was tea lattes episode, something um, like that. I, I think I've used it like three or four times, and not in the last year, so it's probably gonna go. Hmm. Okay, I was for a second tempted to ask you if I could have it, and then I decided I don't want it. Yeah. Oh, I also got rid of a deep fryer. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think. For me, um, the best single-use kitchen appliance is... I mean, a toaster oven is is multi-use, right? Oh, that's multi-use, yeah. Um, Instant Pot is multi-use. It's it's a multi-cooker. Maybe you just don't have a single-use appliance. Or maybe it's the waffle maker. Well, the waffle maker is... is... Yeah, I'm I'm struggling here. I mean, I can also think about like 
coffee making devices. Okay, like an AeroPress? Well, so we have in our household three different coffee making devices. Sure. Okay. We have an espresso machine that I've had for probably like 10 years and that this is a real problem for me, Matthew. Okay. It's a really good espresso machine. It was not new when I got it. It's like the kind of thing that um, <laughs> that my ex-husband, <laughs> may he rest in peace, <laughs> Just kidding. Brandon, yeah, he's, Brandon's, alive. he's alive and well. Yeah. But he bought the farm. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, he is really good at finding like the best version of a thing. Sure. It's like, you know, vintage or whatever. But anyway. then you have to maintain it. Then right? you have to maintain it. So, yeah, I can't. I, I really as much as I got pretty good at making myself a really good shot of espresso or Americano in this thing. I could even do it when June was a baby and was like in a carrier on me. Nice. Like I, I really, this was the time. And she would in only which get lightly steamed. Uh, she could even sleep through the sound of the machine. Oh, that's great! Like, was, like man, pulling a shot. It's so great. Like when it, when a baby sleeps so soundly that it's impossible to wake them up, and that that period does not last long enough. No, it does not. Anyway, but at a certain point, you know, like whatever the calibration of my grinder was wrong, but then it seemed like actually the problem was the the espresso machine, and now it, I think it probably needs to be deeply cleaned and I just can't deal with it. And so yeah. it lives in the closet. I don't want to get rid of it. I, mean, I don't you know help why with your not. Grinder, I think there's an app for that. Oh my God, Matthew. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but now we have uh, an AeroPress and just a cheap little pour over dripper. And I use the pour over dripper every day. Ash uses the AeroPress every day. I think those are your, are your happy. best. Those are our best. Yeah, I don't have an idea for the most underrated kitchen appliance. So I'm going to say rice cooker. <laughs> Okay, I think that's fair. All right. That's fair. I'm really excited about my Now But Wow this week. So I am um, too. I'm very familiar with this one. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so last week, uh, my spouse and I made juk or, or kanji, um, and we tried a new recipe and I did not love it. Okay. So I was doing a whole bunch of Googling and came upon a, uh, a YouTube channel called Made with Lao. That's L-A-U. Mm-hmm. I had never encountered it before, and I started watching the video for like what they described as their perfect kanji. And I was so charmed. And yeah. so I went down a real rabbit hole of learning more about this YouTube channel. Um, Tell me about it, because I only know a very little bit. I even watched like a little mini documentary. Oh, it. that's great. I think it was like maybe made by YouTube for, you know, promoting YouTube or whatever. Anyway, so Made with Lao is a YouTube channel and, and website that is filled with classic Chinese recipes taught in a home kitchen by this older man uh, who is referred to on the on the show as Daddy Lao. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable saying that. <laughs> but anyway, the site was created by his adult son, Randy Lao, uh, quite recently in September 2020. Yeah. So things were really precarious for the family. Uh, Randy was out of work because of COVID-19. His wife was expecting a baby. And he decided to kind of take this passion of his, which I think was like video storytelling, mm-hmm. to try doing some video storytelling on YouTube, both, you know, 
like as a possible income stream in a hard time, and as a way to preserve the traditions of his dad's cooking. For whatever reason, decided to refer to his dad as Daddy Lau uh-huh. on the show. And Daddy Lau is a former restaurateur and chef and is the star of the videos. And he demonstrates the recipes in Cantonese with subtitles and voiceover by Randy. And at the end, you get to watch them like sitting around the table eating in a way that feels really authentic. Yeah. Um, And the recipes are really good. It's like real classic Cantonese home cooking. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am going to be making Daddy Lau's perfect congee this week, actually, with chicken. Okay. Let me know how it is. And I can't wait to try it. it. I bet it's good. And I'm going to try it next. My favorite little detail about the Made with Lau YouTube channel is the thumbnails for each video feature a picture of the finished dish with a little (laughs) photo of Daddy Lau's like head, yep. head and neck outlined in yellow. And he, I think he, in each of them, he has what seems to be like an enthusiastic expression, but it's a very <laughs> like, um, a very like ambiguous yeah, expression. It's like, it's like- and I love it. Anyway, <laughs> he is a delight and it feels really intimate and I'm so happy for their success. Yes. I mean, it's really taken off. Yeah. YouTube.com slash C slash made with Lau, L-A-U. Yes. Yes. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Indeed. And you can rate and review this show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can uh, hang out with other people who listen to the show and chat about it at, on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and once again, you know, happy holidays to everyone. We will see you on Candy Cane Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to we need to start putting up our lights. <laughs> um, we're decorating. Uh, we, we have a house. Um, oh, you do? Uh, you and I, oh. um, for the purposes of this bit, oh, have okay. a house, <laughs> okay. and we're going to decorate it. It's going to be like the you know the 500 days of spilled milk. Oh, what day is the partridge in a pear tree? Um, that's that's that was our first episode. Oh, like how to how to like steam a whole partridge in a pear tree? <laughs> first, you get a big pot. First, you get a really big pot. Yeah, and then you invite Daddy Lau over, mm-hmm. and he shows you the right way to do it. Okay, I'm Matthew Amster Burton, and I'm Molly Weisenberg. Like the times when you think back on the times you've left someone at the altar, like yeah. what was the what was the decision process? Oh, well, it was always like, do I want to it seems like a lot of trouble to put on this wedding dress. Do I right. want to do it or not? Well, but you wouldn't did you so you showed up at the altar not wearing a wedding dress? No, I just decided not to go at all. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.